G'day wherever you are around the world. Thank you for your company once again on truth2u.org. That's truth2u.org. I'm Jono and joining me, of course, is my very good friend, Ross Nichols, the author of The Moses Scroll. G'day, mate. Hello, Jono. How are you? Doing well. Thank you, my friend. And you've got a little bit of exciting news concerning The Moses Scroll because it's... Uh, coming out in a different format. What is that? Look, people have choices, you know. We, we didn't want to just yeah. stick with the paperback, so we put the Kindle version, and that's up. And and then uh, the other day, I logged into my Amazon author's account, and it said, hey, if you'd like to make this a hardcover. And the only thing I can figure out, Jono, is that I think the book has been just successful enough that Amazon gave me the uh, the ability. It's sort of a beta thing, you know, they're testing it out. But yeah, so I, I, I said, absolutely, I want to do that. And our very good friend, Daniel Wright, uh, immediately jumped on it. We had to design a slightly different size cover, you know, so he, oh, yeah. he he's the designer of the cover and all the illustrations. And he pulled that together for me. I'm so thankful he did it because he had a big beach vacation plan. The guy works nonstop. And he told me, he said, Ross, I'm, I'm going to the beach with my wife. I, I said, Daniel, please. So anyway, long story short, he got it done for me. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> you, you interrupted the man's vacation for uh, for him to, to read through the cover of the of the Moses Girl for a hardcover, and he did it for you. Well, it's so funny because I, you know, I joke, we're good friends, and I joked with him, and I said, you need to tell your wife that if this isn't done, you, you can't go to the beach. How could you go to the beach... <laughs> Leaving your good friend, hey, so he said, okay, all right, leave me alone, I'll do it. And he did it. So it's You're up. Dedicated. So now people, and by the way, because of that, I lowered the price on the paperback and uh, the Kindle version. So if they go to Amazon right. now, they can get a better deal on the paperback, and the Kindle is now $8. Okay. So they could download that right now. I mean, come on. $8 right. US, well, if, whatever that is. If you haven't got the book already, now you, you really have no excuse. It's so ridiculously cheap. But I'm going to get a – I mean, I've got a few copies, but I'm going to get a hardcover because I do prefer the hardcover. And this book, uh, in my mind, absolutely deserves a hardcover. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Grand. All right. So we just go to Amazon. We'll, we'll put a link on this post. Can we do that? That's right. And then the other, the other, real quickly, the other piece of good news, I, I think I brought it up last week, but I am leaving Tuesday next week uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm going to Germany. And I think this is really cool for the Shapira fans out there. Oh, yeah. As it turns out, well, that's why we're going. I'm going with the Tylers uh, and we're going to do some research for Shapira. Not only the scroll, uh, we have some clues we're going to follow up on, but we're also researching the Moabitica, which is this next book I'm working on. But here's the cool deal. On top of all that, that's all cool, but on top of all that, as it turns out, I'll be spending uh, Simchat Torah, uh, the Jewish oh, yeah. festival, rejoicing in the Torah. I'll be in Amsterdam, which, as you know, was the oh, last wow. stop uh, he dies, uh, Shapira dies in Rotterdam, but his first stop was Amsterdam, and I talk about this in mm. the book. So it just, to me, is sort of a very interesting, call it a wink from heaven. I like to think it's ordained, you know, that I end mm. up in Amsterdam. Un you know, I didn't plan this. It's just the way the ticket booked out. Uh, so anyway, I I'm excited. That'll be next week, and so uh, following the show... When we come on next, I'll be able to tell hopefully a little bit of good news and excitement around that trip once we get it. Yeah, you know, I will be very interested, and I'm sure the uh, the listeners will be as well to hear all about that. G'day to Dave and Patty Tyler. Uh, I know they're down in your neck of the woods at the moment, and uh, you you were able to uh, tear yourself away so we could do this program. So, um, g'day, Dave and Patty, and uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, in this project. It, it really is uh, greatly appreciated. Absolutely. All right. So listen, um, we need to recap. I want to recap because okay. uh, something occurred to me uh, as things do when you have more time to think about it. We were talking about last week, uh, we made the point that the, the the claims of authority to the Moses scroll within the text, mm -hmm. uh, that being that it is claiming that God spoke to a people, not an individual, okay, and uh, and that individual conveyed the information to the people. In, in other words, what we would call uh, a private revelation to one person, one charismatic person, who then sold 
their vision or their hallucination or their trip or whatever it might have been right uh, or their idea to a people and then a, a religion took off or whatever a movement took off um which generally is a revelation narrative of of every other every other that's right um, yeah there it is uh but in this case it's a uh the, the moses scroll claims to be a, a national revelation or a corporate revelation a revelation from god audibly to the people and uh and therefore it has a higher claim of authority and therefore the information that is spoken to the people mm -hmm. is authoritative by nature it's higher than us it didn't come from man it came from a higher authority it came from the creator mm -hmm. uh as the moses scroll claims we're going to be we may even get into that in this program further okay um so we established that we talked about how in deuteronomy uh deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 5 there's a confusion there because it it seems to be saying uh, contrary to everywhere else in the Tanakh that talks about this, and particularly Exodus, Deuteronomy as well. But this particular verse seems to be saying uh, that Moses conveyed the information to the people. Right. And and we were trying to figure this out because it it appears, not exactly in the same way, but it, this, this verse, um, Deuteronomy 5 verse 5, is derived from the Moses scroll. It's in the Moses scroll. Mm -hmm. And... As we were, and, and I'd hypothesized various solutions, which weren't entirely satisfying, and I explained that in the, in the previous program, it involved a bit of speculation. But as we were preparing for last week's program, it just became obvious that what was in the Moses scroll uh, was a parenthetical text. In other words, a comment, can I, say, can I describe it like this, a comment within a statement? Does that sound right? Sure. Yeah. So I'm telling you a narrative. I, I'm, I'm unfolding a narrative to you. And then in the middle of that, I, I, I might just have a side comment. And in English, we would just put that in brackets in right. text, right? Yeah. And it's, that's parenthetical. And that solved all the problems. It was the most simple solution. We were very happy with that. I'm still very happy with that. But um, as – and, of course, you pointed out uh, that it appears that way in our favorite English translation, that being the Koran Jerusalem Bible. And and one more, now, let me let me jump in real yep. quickly and say, I didn't notice until since we talked, but it does it the same way in the JPS. Doesn't put it All in right. brackets, but it separates it out with with dashes. Anyway, oh, with, with um, no, that's a good point. I had not noticed that either because I hadn't gone looking for it before until you pointed out that it's actually in various translations. Every translation, um, it appears, picks these words up as a parenthetical statement. Right. So, again, a comment within a narrative, a, a comment within a, a statement. Yep. Um, and you would put it in English. We would represent that in brackets mm -hmm. in text. Uh, now, what we didn't talk about, and I just want to quickly touch on here, okay. is that it doesn't work in Deuteronomy. There's a reason for that, uh, but it does work in the Moses scroll, of course, like everything else. Yep. Um, the reason why, Ross, is that in Deuteronomy, it takes the end of the statement and places it within the parenthetical text. So I'm going to give an example because this sounds really, it's confusing to understand unless okay. I, I think I need to just give an example. And maybe this example will be even more confusing, but let's see. Let's see how we go. All right, <laughs> All right. here we go. Ready? I'm ready. You're, we're, we're visiting your place, so myself and William, right? Okay. My son, William. We, we come over your place. You make this really weird meal that you make over there called gumbo. Is that, is that what it's called? There's gumbo, yeah. Yeah, gumbo. It's, gumbo. Not, it's we, not weird. We you, if I made it for you and weird. William, you guys would just move here. No, no it's, it's, it's some sort of alien um, mush that, that you make over there that we don't have here because it's just so weird. I've never heard of it, <laughs> never had it. Don't know that anyone in the history of Australia, of Australia has ever made gumbo. But you live on gumbo over there, right? It's good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And and, by, and let me just say, because some of the listeners are thinking, wait a minute, I thought Ross kept at least kosher. You can make gumbo uh, with all vegetables if you want to. You can make it with kosher meat. You can, gumbo is really, it's a French cuisine, 
It's like a thick gravy, almost a, a, a soup type thing is the best way I can describe it. And it always has, whatever you put in it, it has to have uh, okra. Anyway, go ahead. No, I, that, no, so I know, okra, no, now I know you're hungry. So, you're, you're just going to No, be... I'm not. See, we don't even have okra. I don't know what okra is. It, it looks like a, it looks, if, if, if a pepper could be a sultana, it'd be okra. Is that fair? <laughs> you have no idea what you're missing. Go ahead with your example. You and William come to my house. I'll make a pot of okay, gumbo. You make a pot of gumbo, okay? And I'm okay. So, and I'm telling the story in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So uh, Ross makes a pot of gumbo, and and he prepares it for us to eat. Mm-hmm. This William and I, mm-hmm. and I I have to eat some of the gumbo first because William thought that it was poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. To serve to you. Okay, so let, to serve to you. Okay, so Ross makes, here's the, here's the statement. Ross makes some gumbo okay. to serve to us, right? Or to serve to you. I'm talking to William. Ross makes some gumbo to serve to you. That's mm-hmm. the statement. Yep. But I put a parenthetical statement in the middle of that. Ross makes some gumbo. And I, I had to taste some of it before William does because he was afraid. He was afraid of the gumbo. Ah, see you. how you even put the word afraid in there. You're... You're playing off of our Deuteronomy 5 to show the example of a statement within a parenthetical statement within a comment or a narrative. There it is. So, so I'm saying, I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling the story, and I'm, telling, I'm reminding William, right? We went over to Ross's place. Ross made some gumbo. And I, this is in brackets, I, I had to taste it first to make sure it wasn't poisonous, that, you know, because you were afraid of it, to serve to you. Now, that's the end of the brackets, and then to serve to you. So, in other words... Ross made us some gumbo to serve to to you. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is the statement. And what what the uh, Deuteronomy five verse five says is uh, what it does with the text. It it, it kind of says Ross made some gumbo, and I I had to taste it because you were afraid of the gumbo. No, I had to taste it to serve to you because you were afraid of the gumbo. And it sounds like it sounds like I served the gumbo. You get it? Yeah. And, and just so people follow, and, and this is an example, 5-4 in Deuteronomy, face-to-face, the Lord spoke to you on the mountain out of the fire. So the Lord is the subject. The Lord is the speaker. Then verse 5 interrupts that. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to convey the words, Lord, the Lord's word to you, for you were afraid of the fire and didn't go up to the mountain. And then this parenthetical statement ends and it picks up with saying, the point being that the Lord spoke to you on the mountain out of the fire, saying, I am the Lord your God. But in but in Deuteronomy 5 verse 5, it includes yeah. to declare to you. And now that's the problem, because yeah. it sounds like Moses is declaring to the people. It sounds like I am serving the gumbo to William. Um, but in actual fact, in the Moses scroll, the part to declare to you is after the parenthetical statement. Yes. So to to so it is in fact the Lord Elohim rather declaring to you saying. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the difference. So um, you'll you'll understand this better when you compare your Moses scroll to to Deuteronomy. Uh, but the point is is that it doesn't work. It's it's clunky in Deuteronomy. It's not a problem once again in the Moses scroll. So we talked about that. Um, we moved on. Did, did you want to add to that at all? Uh, just, I don't want to get beyond word number one of the 10 words because there's something else that stands out. Last week also, oh, you, yeah. you brought up that there's a different word used here mm. in the Moses scroll than we find in the canonical version. Both Exodus mm-hmm. 20 and Deuteronomy 5 use uh, this this word... Um, Let's see, it brought you out. Mm. You know, I am Jehovah your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, so forth and so on. Exodus and Deuteronomy have that. But in the Moses scroll, there's a different word used, which means liberated. We talked about that. Mm. But the commandment, number one, and, and we also mentioned that depending on what faith tradition someone follows, since there's no real clear way that the the words of the ten words are divided into ten, we have differences of opinion. And, you know, the Catholics do it one way, Protestants do it another, Jewish people, you know, mm. you have all these different breakings in the text. 
But in this particular uh, in this particular version, in the Moses scroll, it's very clear where word number one ends. There's something else that is really different about the Moses scroll ten words and the canonical. You want to get into that mm. just quickly? Oh, yeah, get into yeah. it right away. So, so let me just say that if you look at Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, they are almost exact. I note on the file that I've uploaded to my academia account, it's called a comparison of the 10 words in English, where I compare Mm -hmm. side by side my English translation of Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Uh, I note uh, uh, four differences, very minor. The the Mm -hmm. Vav, and and, uh, it's actually all four are additional or missing vavs between one text to the other. But this is in both of them. Uh, Of course, you have don't have any other gods, you know, basically don't make an idol uh, of any form. It's in the heaven above, earth beneath, or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them, and you shall not serve them. Okay, that's pretty much what the Moses scroll says. We can discuss that. Mm -hmm. But then there's a phrase, because... I, Jehovah, your Elohim, zealous El, or a jealous God, as it's translated, account the iniquity of the fathers upon the sons to the third and the fourth generation for those who hate me, and doing loving kindness to thousands for the ones loving me and the ones guarding the commands. Mm. That does not exist in the Moses scroll. There's no qualifier it basically says, don't have or make other gods. Mm. This part about the iniquity of the fathers upon the sons, the third and the fourth. And by the way, Jono, this does occur. That phrase does occur in the 10 words in the Moses scroll, but mm-hmm. it's not attached to this commandment. Mm. This commandment is unqualified, meaning it just says no don't do it and there there's no not this is why you don't do it it just says don't this particular mm. phrase we will encounter this in another commandment another word later down we will yeah and it is absolutely fascinating so i'm glad that you brought that up uh, that which is missing from the moses scroll mm-hmm. uh, or that which is missing from this particular commandment yeah uh, uh, but appears later on. Um, and you're right that uh, there, there is a, um, a, a differing among different traditions as to how the first commandment is is uh, represented. That is because there, I'm going to say it, there are nine commandments right. in the Ten Commandments uh, of Deuteronomy and Exodus. Uh, in order to make the Ten, you have to either divide the last one Right into two, or divide the first one into two. And depending on which tradition you come from, it's done different ways in order to arrive at ten. The reason why you have to arrive at ten, and we touched on this last time, is because, Ross, is it three verses in the Tanakh? Oh, yeah, that's right. There are three, only three, that mention Aseret Hadevarim, the ten words. That's mm. right. That's right. So uh, in order to, in order to uh, stay true to the text... You need to divide them up into ten. You have to. Uh, have you have 10. the liberty to do that because the uh, the divisions are not uh, they're kind of gray areas in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. in, in uh, Exodus. They are certainly not gray areas in the Moses Scroll, and we're going to uh, continue on. Now, in one that one, one other Go thing, uh, one other difference I'd like to point out uh, between the canonical version and this version in the Moses Scroll. In the canonical version, it says. Uh, it's translated typically, you shall have no other gods before me. But literally in the Hebrew, in Exodus mm. 20 and Deuteronomy 5, it now this is literal, so you can you can see how they get don't have other gods before me. But literally it says, uh, no there will be to you, or there shall not be to you, other gods, Elohim Akarim, in addition or above my face is. My faces mm. is plural actually. Before so my face, yeah. yeah. So, so that phrase, uh, "You shall not have no other gods before my face," uh, is not there. It simply says in the Moses scroll, "Lo yihye lechem Elohim akarim." Uh, no, it will be to you plural, or there shall not be to you plural other Elohim. Not in addition mm. to, not over my face. You just shouldn't have them. Period. 
And, and then one other thing, the reason, again, that we know that this is all one commandment, that you shouldn't, you know, he says, I am uh, Elohim who liberated you, and then he gets into the rule against idolatry. The reason we know that that's one command and not two, as some people break it, is it closes with Anoki Elohim Eloheka. I am Elohim, your Elohim. And that, by the way, is consistent from here throughout. And one other thing lets us know that a new word is coming. In, a new commandment. So uh, yep. in, in, each, in each commandment that is given, it ends that way. That's and right. that's why we know that they're clearly divided. Yep. So uh, it's often said, you know, when people hear about the Shapira scroll for the first time and you say, uh, you know, and then there's, there's, there's a, a commandment in the, uh, in, the, in the Decalogue that isn't represented in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. They go, what do you mean? There's 11 commandments? That's and right. And it's like, no, there's 10. You yep. have nine. <laughs> there's yep. 10 in the Moses scroll. Yeah, um, that's mind blowing. That's a lot to deal with, and people will be rushing their Bible, to their Bibles, going, "What?" Yeah, that's right. But um, that is the case. Now, just returning to what you said before, um, Exodus and Deuteronomy says, "You shall not have other gods before my face." Right. Mm-hmm. You, you, it, yep. it, this is what, and this is called an anthropomorphism, which is uh-huh. a really cool word because I think it's got like six syllables, and I feel really smart that's every right. time I say it. I love it. it. But. It's, it's good, isn't it? Anthropomorphisms. Um, that is to say, attributing, uh, how would we say that? Attributing um, uh, physicality of man to God. Yeah. And it's not necessarily just physicality. It could be also emotions. It could be actions that um, uh, are done typically by humans. Uh, but in this case, face, we're talking about, um, uh, act, you know, God a actually feature. having a face. Yeah, well, a physical feature. A feature. Yeah. Now, as you pointed out, that doesn't appear... In, in the Moses scroll, which I was fascinated with, and I thought, oh, going to do a little bit of a search. There shall be to you no other Elohim, right? So both Exodus and Deuteronomy add before my face. Yep. Uh, what's that? al Yep, that's right. This phrase is used eight times, Ross, in Deuteronomy, <gasps> but only once is it derived from the Moses scroll, and that being uh, Deuteronomy 11.25, which in the Moses scroll is, uh, is uh, GC5. And is in reference to the face of the land, not the face of God. Ah. Uh, which is interesting. And um, only in this commandment, uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy, does this phrase apply to, in, in the case of Exodus and Deuteronomy, it applies to Jehovah. Not so in the Moses scroll. In fact, all 13, 13 physical anthropomorphic references found in Deuteronomy, I could read them out, but it's a long list, so I won't. Are in, get this, Ross, they are entirely absent in the Moses scroll, and nowhere in the Moses scroll uh, is there any sort of anthropomorphism, uh, at least physically, wow. of God. See, I'm learning this. I'm learning from you, Jonah. This is good. I, I hadn't made that connection yet. I love that. Very interesting. Man. Now, look, one other thing we need to remind them as we are about to move into the second word, a couple of other things. Just remember this scroll is written on leather uh, in what is called a scriptio continuum is the Latin phrase. It's a continuous script, meaning that words are not separated one between the next. It's a continuous script. So whereas we would read, Lo Lachem Elohim Akarim, there will not be to you another uh, or other gods. In our Bible, in the modern Hebrew Bible, and most most even most ancient uh, text, even from Qumran, we see breaks in between the words. These would all be continuous, except where there are interpunks. And in the ten words, mm. the words are separated. So what I just said, lo ye ye, those come between interpunks, and after every single word, there's an interpunk. And here's mm. one other thing. So it's continuous script, but with interpunks in the ten words. Now, any time uh, you reach the the scribe reached the end of the line, he would begin a new line and then write continuous script, or in this case, with the interpunks. But if the end of the verse comes on a certain line, regardless of how much room is left, the scribe begins a new line. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So. So, for instance, word number one, we know this because of the accuracy and detailed description given to us 
by the German uh, Goethe and Meyer and by, by Ginsburg's drawings that were published uh, in 1883. We know mm-hmm. that word number one ends on line seven of fragment E, column B. This is how detailed this is. They can find this in the mm-hmm. Moses scroll. So line seven ends, it says line six has the words Anoki Elohim Eloheka. I am basically Elohim, your Elohim. Now, he's only got one word there on line number seven, but the next word is about to begin, so the scribe skips down and begins a new line of text. And the line Hmm. of text uh, for the new line, this would be the bottom line in fragment E, column B. So the scribe is at the bottom of the column on this one strip, which we, which the Germans labeled E, and mm-hmm. uh, he starts a new one. But part of the line of text is damage. So here's what we get. Kadosh, that's all we see, is one word, and then the rest of the line is uh, is blank. It's either you know, it might be partly damaged. Maybe the ink is not discernible, but there's nothing recorded there. It just says sanctify is mm. basically. Or, Kadosh, holy, sanctify. Yeah, to make mm. holy, to set apart. I like set apart because holy, Kadosh, literally means to set it apart. You know, treat it now this not, is... not as common, just special. Yeah, go ahead. This is the, well, this is the second commandment now. We're, in, we're into the second word and people are going... Uh, that's that's not how the second commandment begins. Where ah. uh, it's a it's a little bit different now. Before we get in there, I, I just want to keep people on okay. the edge of their seats because I just want I just want to go back for a second. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have yeah, a question yeah. for you. Okay, so the first the first commandment is there shall not be to you other Elohim. You shall not make for yourselves a carved thing or any formed thing that is in the heavens above or that is on the earth below or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, and you shall not serve them. I am Elohim, your Elohim. Now, a lot of people, a lot of uh, scholars go, well, <laughs> well, hang on a minute. Um, that's a problem, because uh, when you look at the Ark of the Covenant, what do we have on top of the Ark of the Covenant, Ross? Oh, it's it's got some beautiful uh, golden cherubs that that stretch across the... the uh, the covering, the lid, as we say, with their wingtip touching. And and by the way, this is made by two skilled, spirit-filled, uh, not Pentecostal like today, spirit-filled, but <laughs> but spirit. According to the to, to the Pentateuch, they're spirit-filled artisans named Betzalel and Aholiav, and they make mm. these beautiful angels, and they their wingtips touch, and you know the whole story. But but wait a minute, you're telling me that within a box that's beautified, it's probably mm-hmm. you know it's made of wood, it's coated in gold, and it has golden what would you call things that are made in the image of something in the heavens? What what is a word for that? Like uh, an idol? Uh, maybe maybe an idol? Maybe, <laughs> but that's maybe. strange though, isn't it? It is strange. It's kind of strange, and 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 scholars are right to bring this up. Now, you brought this to my attention years ago, um, and I had never really looked at it before uh, when when you had brought it to my attention. But there are two arcs. Can you can you quickly just give us a rundown? Um, I, I can. As far as the, the Pentateuch is concerned, I can. And and I learned this, by the way, from James Tabor, who wrote an article. Mm-hmm. It's on his blog, jamestabor.com. I think the title is uh, The Other Ark of the Covenant. And I, I remember when he published that years ago, and I thought, what? Well, if you if you look at Exodus, you see this story that we just told, Betzalel, Aholiav, and they build this ark and so forth, and, and that's where you're going to put the, the ten-word covenant in and so forth. But if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we're talking in your Bible, just the canonical text, if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says in mm. verse 3, this is Moses speaking first person, which, by the way, Moses speaking first person only occurs in Deuteronomy and the Moses scroll, by the way. Mm. He says in verse 3, I made, uh, actually, let me back up to verse 1. Uh, Jehovah said to me, carve out two tablets of stone like the first, come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And then he says he'll write on the same on the tablets the same words but verse 3 Moses speaking I made an ark of acacia wood and carved two 
tablets of stone like the first. I took the two tablets with me and went up the mountain and so forth. Uh, And then in verse 5, Then I left and went down from the mountain, and I deposited the tablets in the ark that I had made, where they still are. Interesting Mm. that according to Deuteronomy, the writer of Deuteronomy, or in this case, the voice of Moses, if you put a microphone to Moses and he said, Tell me, Tell me again, who who made the ark? What were those guys' names? And Moses, according to Deuteronomy, would say, what, what two guys? I made the ark. God told me mm. to make it, and I made it. But it's only in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy has this interesting story, uh, a pericope, a saying, a narrative piece, which describes Moses telling us first person that he is the builder of the ark. Now, people who seek to reconcile the discrepancy will often say, Jono, well, yeah, I mean, Moses made a little box. That that was put inside the bigger box. But you know one thing Deuteronomy never mentions is that bigger box. Mm, There is an ark, but as far as we know, it's only the ark that Moses made. Very interesting. It's a simple wooden box. That's right. And by the way, as far as we know, he didn't put angels on or cherubim on the top of it. None of that stuff occurs in Deuteronomy. And this story, we're, we're going to see it. It's also in the Moses scroll about Moses' little ark, or as Tabor calls it, the other ark of the covenant. So, so I think so, people so what are you're telling me, what you're telling one. me is that uh, as we continue to read and continue through these programs, we're going to find that out of those two arcs, it's the simple wooden box that's represented in the Moses scroll? It, it certainly is. I mean, it That's just, the point I want to make. There's no mention of Bezalel and Aholiab. Just, it, just it doesn't saying. Have, it doesn't have little golden idols on top of it, is what you're saying? And and we don't have to call it idols. We could just say that they what was on the ark that Bezalel and Aholiab made, according were to... Images the, of formed thing? They Can were, I say that? Yeah, let's say that they were images of formed things made in the heavens. Yeah. We could say that. I mean, and, and what you're saying is that 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 is absent from the Moses scroll. Yes, and by the way, it's for move on. Yeah, we can move on. It's it's forbidden. We can move on. Uh, sanctify, as you as you uh, put it, and people are going. Well, what sanctify? That's not how the second commandment starts. But in the Moses scroll, this is the second commandment, and it goes like this: Sanctify the seventh day, six days. I made heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and I ceased on the seventh day. Therefore, you shall cease also, you and your animals and all. That is yours. I am Elohim, your Elohim. Well, this is very um, timely, Ross, isn't it? Why is that? We are now beginning something across the world. People all over the world are beginning something anew uh, in just a very short period of time. Uh, According to the Jewish cycle of annual readings, the, uh, the new cycle begins very soon. And so, so this is what's about to happen. Is that what you were getting at? Yeah, that's it, because people begin once again in, in Bereshit. That's the first Torah portion. It begins with creation. And here we are at uh, what is the second commandment in the Moses scroll, Shabbat. And the, uh, the not, not, I guess, well, maybe I suppose the explanation given concurs with Exodus it doesn't concur with Deuteronomy. Well, now people are going, what? <laughs> You've got to explain this to us, Ross. Okay. So there, there are a couple of Where things. Where to begin? Well, well, first of all, let me just say that it is interesting that in the Moses scroll, number two on the list of 10 deals with Shabbat. Okay. And and Shabbat is, is clearly the second of the 10 words. But just to make mm. the point that you alluded to, if you go to Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, you're going to find that the second word, depending on how you count them because there's no real clear idea, is Mm. you shall not lift the name or take, the way it's translated in in many English translations, the way I learned it as a kid, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain because the Lord will not uh, clear the one who takes his name in vain, right? Mm. That That's the, the commandment against using the Lord's name in vain as it's typically taught. We get something about the name in the uh, Moses scroll 10, the Decalogue, but it's not exactly the same. We'll get that to, to that later. Now we're going to look at the Shabbat 
command. Now, mm-hmm. if you look at Exodus and uh, Deuteronomy side by side, I really encourage people to download my document, A Comparison of the Ten oh, Words. Yeah. Now, it starts off... No, no, where, where, where can they find that, by the way? Because that is exceptional. Where, where can they uh, get the details on that? Or can we put a link uh, we can. on this? We, we can. It's okay. actually on my academia page, academia.edu. Uh, I have an account there, but we'll put a link to make it easy. Great. But if you, if you read Exodus 20's version of Shabbat, now there's a lot of similarity between the two, but this is the one that stands out as the most divergent one between the other. And, and the way I illustrate it on my chart is if there's a single letter difference between the version in Exodus or Deuteronomy, that different letter is placed in red. When they look at the Shabbat command in Exodus side by side with Deuteronomy, it's over 50% red. I mean, it's a lot. So it starts off, and I'll just hit the high points. Exodus mm-hmm. says, remember the Sabbath day to separate it. Uh, Deuteronomy mm-hmm. 5 says, guard the Sabbath day to separate it, and then has the phrase, as which the Lord your God commanded you. So, And then it then there's a lot of similarity between the two. But then it gives a reason. So in Exodus 20, we are to remember the Sabbath day to separate it or to make it holy. Why? Because verse 11 of Exodus 20 says, Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea that all and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and separated it. So the mm-hmm. reason we are to remember, according to, if you just had Exodus, the reason, and somebody said, what does Exodus say? Well, the reason is because we're supposed to remember it because God created heaven and earth in six days, rested on the seventh, and that's the reason. But then if you say, okay, Deuteronomy, what say you? Deuteronomy would say, well, I say you should guard the Sabbath day because God commanded us to do that. And in the reason... It's in order that your servant and your handmaid may rest as you, and you should remember. Oh, Exodus 20 has that. But it's not to remember the creation. Deuteronomy 5 says, Remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a strong hand, stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to do the seventh day. So there's a lot of difference between those two. Do you remember it, and do you remember it because of the creation, or do you guard it, and you do that because of the redemption from Egypt? Now, both of those are good reasons to observe the Sabbath day. Mm. What did it really say? Because remember, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 both claim to be presenting to the reader that which God spoke. But did he speak, you know, which one did he say? Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Why are they different if both of them claim to be the word of God from Horeb? Well, mm. that's a question. I mean, what do you think about that? How, how could they be different? Now, I think the rabbis ultimately said that when God spoke, that he gave both at the same time. Well, that's really the best you can do with it. I mean, you have uh, two different texts that are saying, without a doubt, two very different things. Um, both of those you're claiming to be the um, the Torah of Moses given given by God. Therefore, what else can you do with it but to have an explanation that said he said both at the same time? Um, you're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I, right. I don't see another way out of that but to, but to uh, uh, offer a, an explanation that way and hope that people will move on. Yeah, and, th- and that's basically what happens. I know uh, we're coming up on Simchat Torah, and uh, you know the Jewish people have, have really championed the reading of the Ten Words on Shavuot. Mm. Now, on Shavuot, if you go to a service with uh, Jewish friends, and, and I encourage people to do that. I love the Bible. I love mm. being around the Jewish people and their zeal for the Torah, as they call it. Mm. But one thing that you'll find is that, for instance, on Shavuot, it's it's primarily centered on the version in Exodus 20. And the reason is most people think that Exodus 20 represents the original scene. This is the way it was communicated. This is like live and in person. Moses takes notes right then on the spot. 
whereas they considered Deuteronomy 5 to be a secondary account of what happened. Isn't so, that fascinating? It is. I, no, no, I find that so fascinating because, as you mentioned before, Deuteronomy is the one that is primarily in the first person. Exodus is not, and yet they defer to, to uh, Exodus's version of the Shabbat commandment over Deuteronomy primarily. Almost without exception. I was at a Shavuot. Mm. You know, there's a tradition to stay up all night on Shavuot and study the Torah. And I, uh, some Jewish friends, a rabbi and his wife, and uh, the congregation invited me to join them. And so I, I did. I, I went and, and we stayed and it was really late. And one of the people in the group said, okay, now let's let's read the 10 words. Let's, you know, this is what this is about. Shavuot, you know, it's the giving mm. of the, the 10 commandments. And so uh, this rabbi said, well, let's go to Exodus 20. I said, let's do Deuteronomy 5. And everybody looked at me like, you know, you're not the rabbi. Be quiet or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what the look was. I think that was the look. And uh, <laughs> And somebody said, why? I said, well, we could talk about the differences, you know me, uh, between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And the rabbi's Mm. wife said, the differences. I said, well, yeah, sure. There's this many words in Hebrew in the Exodus version, this many. They had never Mm. heard this before. Mm. But these differences, I think, are important. And and one other thing, regardless of uh, which version you're reading, Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, you're going to see a switching back and forth between the first person and the third person, and it's it's really confusing, so much so that the rabbis had to come up with an explanation. It mm. is, you know, and part of the part of the thing is we know from text in the Pentateuch that God spoke audibly. We know that. But then there's this thing that you discussed when we opened the show today. Uh, is it Moses, or is that parenthetical, or is is now Moses talking? And I think what they came up with is that God spoke the first word, and then Moses steps in and conveys the rest of it. You know, because that would explain, how is it, if God is speaking, why does he refer to himself in the third person? So, like, for instance, in the canonical version, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you. Well, that's God speaking. You shall not make any other gods and so forth. Yeah, that's God speaking. You say, okay, it follows mm. along pretty well. Uh, but then you you get to, for instance, the next one where it says, you shall not swear falsely. You would think if God is speaking, he would say, by my name. Mm. But it doesn't say that. It says, you shall not swear falsely by the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not clear one who swears falsely by his name. If God were speaking, wouldn't it seem to say, don't swear falsely by my name, mm-hmm. or I will of not course. hold you guiltless if you swear falsely by my name? Well, let me just tell you this. Here's a a, a spoiler. The Moses scroll keeps it consistent, but we'll get mm, there. All the way so, through. We'll get there. So we talk about the Sabbath day. We gave you what it says in the canonical version, and by the way, both of those are third person. When it refers to God, it's always in the third person. Uh, Exodus talks about the creation. Deuteronomy talks about the redemption from Egypt. Now, the Moses scroll. Which one does it use, Jono? And what is different about it than Exodus 20? Oh, boy. Okay. So uh, it does use, of course, uh, creation uh, as an explanation for sanctifying the seventh day. It says six days I made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and I ceased on the seventh day. Therefore, you shall also, uh, you, your animal, and all that is yours, you shall cease. Um, some of the differences, uh, remind me, Ross, I, I'm, I'm liking the word cease. There's a difference between the Moses scroll there and Exodus. If I remember correctly, I think, does Exodus use the word rest? I think it does, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, It's a different. It it is a significant difference. To cease means something different to uh, every individual, um, because every individual has a different occupation. Mm -hmm. People do different things uh, to to earn a living, so to speak. So only the individual knows what it means to cease. Uh, Now remember, listeners, uh, as we pointed out last week, not only is this an authoritative document, uh, and we pointed out why at the beginning of this program we talked about it in depth in the last program, but another thing we talked about is that uh, it is a document of liberation. It's a liberating document because it begins, the, the Decalogue begins with, uh, I, I am Elohim 
who liberated you, not just brought you out. It's not a matter of geographical relocation. Mm -hmm. I liberated you from Egypt. I freed you. You are a free people and you'll remain so. uh, And the best way to, to remain so is by observing these 10 words, which I'm giving you now. So here we are at the second commandment, and he says, six days I, made, I, I, I did all of this, therefore you shall cease also. Whatever well, it is that you do during the week, Ross. What I was going to ask you, and, and let the listeners think about this, what does Shabbat mean? Shabbat means to cease. A lot of times mm. people think that Shabbat means to rest, but Shabbat means to cease. We get this in Genesis, you know, from the first time it's used, uh, that, you know, if you talk about the creation and God worked, he did his work in six days and then stopped. And then it also has the word rest, but the word stop is where we get the idea from uh, for the Hebrew phrase Shabbat uh, or Sabbath, as we Mm. say in English. But the interesting thing, and, and this is, we've, we've mentioned this before, I'll say it again. What would be the reason that a forger would be so d- different than the canonical version? For instance, if you're going to forge, why not pick one or the other? If you're leaning toward, let's say he liked Exodus better, and that's why he based it on the idea of the creation. Mm-hmm. Then why not just say, remember the Sabbath day uh, to separate sure. and, it? And- and why make it the second commandment and not the fourth? Exactly. So, but in this case, the interesting thing is that it's very consistent as we find over and over. You and I talk day, several times a week about this uh, as we're studying. But the idea is that it's sanctify, set the seventh day apart. Now, mm. get this, six days I made. Now, compare that to what we read in uh, Exodus 20. The seventh day is for Jehovah your God. You shall not do this. Because, why? Jehovah made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in there. So that's third person. Someone is Mm. telling us about the creation. It's not God speaking. Uh, It's in the third person. But in this scroll, it says six days I made the heavens and the earth and all that's in them, and I ceased on the seventh day. Mm. Therefore, you shall also cease, you, your animal, all that's yours, ani Elohim Eloheka. Again, Deuteronomy 5 says that you should remember you were a servant in the land and Jehovah your Elohim delivered you, third person. Mm. I Mm. find it chilling. Like when I read this the first time, and I, I first noticed that I was expecting, if you could find the little scroll that Moses wrote, that the Bible tells us he wrote, you would expect it to be in the first person. I, Moses, the Lord told me, so forth and so on. And that's what you find in the Moses scroll. That was enough for me to, to convince me that this is written from the right perspective. But Jonah, mm-hmm. when I saw for the first time a version of the Ten Words. There is absolutely nothing like this in any ancient document from Qumran mm. to the modern day where God speaks in the first person, as you would expect mm. if right before that it says, these are the Ten Words that God spoke. I am Elohim, your Eloheka. And then he gets into the commands. This is mm. this is remarkable, and it's unprecedented. There's nothing yeah. like this. Just speaking about uh, uh, I ceased, you shall cease, it's interesting, and there was um, Allegro who noted this uh, when he was studying through the text, that this particular commandment has more in common linguistically with uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 12. It's almost like Exodus 23, 12 is, is lifted from the Moses scroll. It says... Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease. And then it says from labor Mm. in order that your ox and your basically your animals may rest and uh, so on and so forth. So it's interesting that it uses the um, uh, the same some of the same words that are not found within Deuteronomy and and, uh, Exodus chapter 20 there. Just a a side note about John Mark Mm. Allegro, brilliant Dead Sea Scroll scholar. 
uh, he he's sort of a maverick. You know, he got he he got into a little bit of trouble because of his boldness and some of the things he did. But interestingly enough, when I was in England on my trip with the Tylers to England, we went to Bernard Quartz, this really sub, uh, high-end bookseller. Uh, they were the owners. Oh, yeah. They were the owners of the Moses Scroll at one time, and I was talking to this young guy who was the one who took our case and and got us all the documents that we were looking for. And he said, "Oh, you 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 like uh, Mark Allegro, John Allegro?" I said, "Oh man, he's one of my favorites." He said, "Do you know I have copies of all the correspondence when he was writing his book?" I said, "Do you really?" really? Between Corich, Bernard Corich, and John Mark Allegro, he goes, "Yeah." I said, "Could I see him?" He said, "I'll email him to you." So I actually now own physical copies. Oh, I do have them. I forgot. I don't. Oh, that's cool. I don't even know if I told you, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, but Allegro noticed this. Allegro is a brilliant biblical scholar, Dead Sea Scroll scholar. He's looking at this text, and he's one of the first. One of the first. In 1965, he wrote his book called The Shapira Affair. And in that book, here's a Dead Sea Scroll scholar. He's one that followed Menachem Mansour, another scholar from Wisconsin, who said... Now that the Dead Sea Scrolls have been discovered, should we not look again at this scroll that Shapira brought forward? It doesn't mm. sound crazy anymore, you know? They thought it was crazy that a scroll could last in a cave for thousands of years. Mm. That's what Shapira said. You know the story. So so this is he was a pioneer in Shapira studies, and, and I hope to do honor to his name by the, some of the stuff that we're doing. So I'm glad you brought him up. Mm. Mm, no, so he he noted that. Um, just so again with uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy, it's interesting. It focuses in on terms like work or labor or rest, um, but rather the, the the Moses scroll centers in on cease, mm -hmm. um, and uh, which raises the question, as I mentioned before, cease from what? Well, cease from uh, anything that you set out to accomplish, or or anything you've you've. Um, obligated yourself or, or have occupied yourself with everyone. Knows, this is the funniest thing. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> everyone knows, you know, what work is when you're at work. It's like, oh, man, I can't wait to knock off from work and get home, you know, and, and work is over. But um, I, in, in Jewish circles, because the text focuses on terms like work, uh, you, you may get home from your your week of work, and then you're there going, hmm, but what is stroking your beard? What is work? Yeah. And uh, and what we end up with is the uh, the 39 uh, prohibitions of Shabbat, which is um, uh, just a, a theology, if you like, of rabbinic Judaism, which tells you these are the things that you must not do. Uh, and the reason why we have these this list of 39 uh, is to make sure that no one works in this case, in the Moses scroll, uh, what it's asking people to do is to cease. Everybody knows what they do for a living. Yeah. And the Moses scroll is saying, God is saying to the people, cease from that which you do during the week on this seventh day. You that's, know what it is. That's it's up right. to you. This is a liberating document, not a binding one. Um, I'd love to go on about the 39 prohibitions of Shabbat. We don't have time to do it. Maybe another time. But people can look that up. One other thing to add to this idea so people can think about it, especially as, as uh, you know, they come to the weekly Sabbath. Uh, remember, this word begins set apart, set apart the seventh day. Mm. And then it says cease, cease, cease. You should, they should, everyone should cease. And, and what you're doing by ceasing is you're making this day different. People tend to think about Shabbat and, and the word sanctify or make holy or whatever, however you want to translate the word kadosh, but, but really it's a separation between that which is common and that which is set apart. Common is what you do day to day. This is a regular rigmarole, as we say, but, but when it comes to Shabbat, as you pointed out, just stop, stop, mm -hmm. breathe deeply cease. It's different. You want it to feel different, to look different, to be different, and it can't just be for you. I love the fact that uh, in in the Moses scroll, and, and by the way, in the Pentateuch, 
The idea is that Shabbat, the ceasing is for you, your servant, your maidservant, your animals. Everyone benefits from Shabbat. Shabbat is to stop and, and just set mm. it apart. So that's that's the second word, man. I mean, this is. I'm, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you just mentioned that because, uh, and, and we won't go into the detail here, but it is interesting to note that um, people will sometimes point to that commandment in Deuteronomy, the, the Shabbat commandment, and say, "Well, look, you see, this is God saying that it's okay to have um, servants or slaves." He's and, and whether it is or it isn't. Uh, the point is that many people point to that and say, well, it's divinely mm-hmm. um, uh, decreed that that uh, it's such a thing and that they also should uh, rest. It's just interesting to note that there is no such reference in the Moses scroll to uh, to slaves or servants. Um, remind me, Ross, remember is the way that uh, Deuteronomy begins. Observe is the way that Exodus begins. That's correct. Uh, vice versa. Uh, remember, vice versa? Yeah, remember is Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 is guard or observe. Guard or observe. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to note that uh, the word remember is used, I think, something like 12 times in, mm-hmm. um, in Deuteronomy. Uh, twice uh, it is from verses lifted from the Moses scroll. One of those is uh, chapter 8, verse 18, Deuteronomy 8, 18. But it's interesting that Deuteronomy 8, 18 adds the word remember into the text. The word remember is not in the Moses scroll. Mm. Another reference is Deuteronomy 7, 18. That is also uh, lifted from the Moses scroll. And it's the only place, uh, as far as I know, mm-hmm. where the Moses scroll uses the word remember. Hmm. And uh, and that is, remember what Elohim did to Pharaoh and all to Egypt. We'll talk more about that when we get to it, but uh, that's an interesting thing. So there is that. There was a couple of... Oh, oh, here's an interesting thing. Okay. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, and we know the opening of, of Bereshit is an Eloist document. There, there's the account of creation, and then there's another account of creation... Uh, after that, and the, uh, the the tetragrammaton is peppered throughout, but not so in the opening of the book. Um, but Genesis two one, an Elohist document, concurs with the Moses scroll, omitting C, uh, while Exodus twenty verse eleven adds C as a separate category of creation. Uh, I find that interesting um, because it says it says Elohim created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he ceased on the seventh day. That's fair, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't have C. Um, I, I just wonder if uh, adding C perhaps is uh, uh, reflecting a human perspective as land dwellers, the C being other to us. However, from the perspective of, of Elohim, the creator, uh, the C is part and parcel of the planet and therefore becomes redundant. There's no reason to mention it. You see, you see my point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We see we see that echoed in uh, Nehemiah chapter nine, verse six. Psalm hundred. Uh, Psalm ninety-five, verse five, and one hundred and forty-six, verse six. Jonah chapter one, verse nine. Uh, we see the the sea being a um, an other. Uh, but in the case of of an Elohist document like the beginning of Exodus and also the Moses scroll, uh, it's not. It's just um, part of it. There is the heavens and there is the earth. Ross. Good. No, I, I, that's an interesting point. Uh, when you said C the first time, I wasn't thinking S E A. I was saying, what is he? What's he? T-? But I get it now. That that's a good point. So the Earth is made of land and sea. So if you talk about the Earth, you're talking about uh, as a uh, both involved in the same. Whereas, uh, mm. and that's from an earthly perspective. No, it's good. It's it's another interesting observation. Very good. A mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Uh, that's in the. Deuteronomy account. Is, is that's that, right. Have I got that's that right. right? Yep, yep. Okay, that's another anthropomorphism. That's another physical anthropomorphism, which is absolutely missing in the Moses scroll. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it's mentioned, let me see, one, two, three, four, five times, yeah. a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, uh, nowhere uh, in, in the Moses scroll, just and, saying. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the phrases that uh, modern scholarship, for whatever people want to do with this, Modern scholarship noticed that the phrase with a a strong hand and an outstretched arm, because that phrase only occurs in Deuteronomy and then in several of the books following, six primarily, six uh, historical books, uh, that most modern scholars believe that that is the work of a later scribe. 
that is called, according to modern scholarship, the Deuteronomist. So they believe, without going into too much detail as we wind down this show, that the Deuteronomistic, that's another big word, the Deuteronomistic Mm. history uh, was written by what they call the Deuteronomist. And the Deuteronomist is a later scribe and puts it in because all scholars believe, most scholars I should say, believe that Deuteronomy reflects such a different vocabulary uh, that it must be, it's believed to be, the latest of all. And Mm. most scholars, beginning, you know, in the 19th century, even before, would date this no earlier, Deuteronomy, no earlier than the fall of uh, Jerusalem in 586. 622 is really what they dated. But the reason they dated it 622 is because scholarship says, you know the story about Josiah discovering, uh, or Hilkiah discovering the scroll in the days of Josiah? Scholarship Mm. put forward this idea that it wasn't really discovering a scroll. They wrote it then, Jono, and Mm. it reflects the same time period. It'd be like me quote instead of coming on the show and talking in my northern, I mean my normal southerly gentleman accent. What if I came on and I spoke like uh, Elizabethan English, where I'm talking like Shakespeare? You know, it would clearly be that I'm archaing my archaizing my language. You I would know? love you to do a program by, like that. By the way, that. I don't know if you could keep it up all the way through. No, but think about think about 500 years ago if somebody said, man, that's really groovy. Well, they didn't say <laughs> groovy. Groovy's hippie language. That was in the 60s. Right. It's not even cool to say that now on this show. But if <laughs> I read a document, let's say uh, that Thomas Jefferson wrote, and I'm reading this letter that you brought to me, and I said, Jonah, where'd you get th- this? is actually a letter from Thomas Jefferson. And I'd say, you mm. know, I don't believe you. Why? Because Thomas Jefferson said, hey, Benjamin Franklin, that's some really groovy stuff you gave me. He's a groovy guy. (laughs) It's a giveaway. So scholars notice, it's a good example, actually. Scholars notice in Deuteronomy that some of the language, words, phrases that are employed Mm. in Deuteronomy weren't even known at the time Mm. of Moses. One of those phrases that's not evident anywhere else in the five books, it's not in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you don't find the phrase with an outstretched, uh, with a strong hand and outstretched arm. You do find it in later biblical literature. That's the word, uh, that's the giveaway, just like our example mm-hmm. of Groovy. So there are examples like that, and you brought up one. Deuteronomy does contain some words, phrases that are late by most scholars' assessment. And guess what, Jono? None of those appear in the Moses Scroll. None of them do. All right, so uh, I know you want to, you're trying to close me down, but I've got one more point. Can I do it? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I know we're running out, we're running out of time, and that's fair. But uh, let me just find my... The question becomes, Ross, why is there a reason at all? Um, we have a reason in Deuteronomy. We have a reason... In uh, Exodus, Exodus is clearly lifted from uh, what appears to be a reason for Shabbat given in the Moses scroll. But why a reason at all? Because as we pointed out, this is audibly spoken to the people some, in a way that absolutely freaked them out. They were scared. They were afraid, as one would be, uh, at the voice of God speaking to them out of the fire on Horeb. What is the purpose of giving a reason for Shabbat if the action of, of uh of giving the commandment is so overpowering, um, what they need more convincing. What what do you think it might be? I don't know, but but let me just make sure I understand because in this command, in this word number two, uh, we do get the idea that because, and I'm using because, which is not there, but I'm using this because it says, "I ceased, therefore you shall cease." So it is so, interesting. It doesn't. It doesn't really. It does associate or provide the meaning that because I ceased on the seventh day, you cease. Yeah. See, now the question becomes: Why didn't God just? Why didn't Elohim just say that? Uh, sanctify the seventh day uh, and cease on that day. 
he could have just said that and we would have gone, well, that's the second commandment. So that's, I guess that's what we'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get your point. It didn't need, it didn't need a caveat. It didn't need uh, what appears to be a reason or an explanation uh, to make it any more convincing. You know, if God is speaking to you out of the face of the fire, you're convinced. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and, and that's the point. And that bothered me. And I, I was, I was thinking about it. I was stewing over it as I do with these things. And I was talking to um, my, my wife, Christine, and I said, this is really messing with my head. What would, what is the purpose of adding a reason to the commandment as if it isn't already, uh, the people aren't already overwhelmed. If God had simply said to us, cease on the seventh day, well, then that's the seventh, that's the second commandment. And that's what we do. Uh, and she said something to me that I thought was really quite profound, and I really think that it is true, um, that it could, be, it, it could be meant to serve as an anchor to monotheism, which would make perfect sense being the second commandment off the back of no idols, a, pro- a prohibition of uh, idolatry. Because after all, Ross, what power is attributed to an L outside of creation? Mm. Is it, is it not a possibility that Elohim is saying, I am the God of all things. I created all things. In six days I created them and I, re- and I ceased on the seventh. Therefore, you shall cease on the seventh. Mm. So uh, I'm throwing out th- that out to the listeners No, it is, it is an interesting consideration. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As, an, as an anchor to monotheism, it's associated yeah, a, 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 a with God's reinforcement. Word. A reinforcement of the plural Elohim being used as a singular, absorbing all designated attributes of El in one, as reflected in the Shema preceding, uh, mm. which we've already dealt with. Yep. There's so many more things we, we probably don't, we definitely don't have time to get to them because we've run out of time. Um, I think we probably need to leave it there. What do you think, Ross? I think so. And uh, just a reminder, if people want to get the book, they can get it, you know, and, it, and by the way, Uh, It's not all about the money. If somebody is already on Amazon as, uh, you know, I forget what they call it, Amazon Direct or whatever. If you have that already, you don't have to pay anything. You can get the book, just just click the button and you don't have to pay anything. Kindle Unlimited. So, yeah, yeah, Kindle. So, so we'll put get a, the hardcover. Yep. There we'll it put is. a link. Oh, oh what, yep. we'll put a link. One more thing, sorry. One more thing just pops into my mind that I have to say and leave uh, leave it for the listeners to think about. There is no timeline as to, to indicate in the Moses Scroll when that six days of creation took place. That's, That's all right. I'm going to say. That's right. Think about okay. that. <laughs> Think about it. That is it, dear listeners. We will return when uh, Ross returns from Germany. With <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing about that trip. You can follow. You're going to be writing in your blog, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Follow Ross uh, where he is, what he's doing with the Tylers in Germany, following the Shapira Trail. He'll be reporting on that on his blog at themosesscroll.com. That's themosesscroll.com. Get the hardcover. We'll put a link to that. Thank you so much, dear listeners. We'll be back eh, sometime next week. But in the meantime, have a great one. Have a beautiful week.